Welcome to another episode of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Keith of Ghost Cult Mag. What's up? And the one and only Duncan Wardle, former head of innovation and creativity at Disney, TEDx talk speaker, um, has done a million other crazy things. How are you today, Duncan? I'm all right. How are you? You know, surviving in the age of coronavirus. There we go. (laughs) So... You kind of came onto my radar because of your very cool social media marketing world podcast you did. Oh. Um, okay. I, you always wonder, like, how the fuck did these people find me? Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> um, Amazing. So, so there was a bunch of stuff from that I kind of wanted to get into. Um, okay. You know, kind of first and foremost, you've... You, you, so you talked on that podcast kind of extensively, and we'll link to that in the show notes, extensively about how you kind of became the head of um, innovation and creativity on, um, you know, for Disney. Where do you see, innov- like, where do you see innovation working in the coronavirus age? So I'd say two or three examples in the last couple of weeks that, you know, the, the, ad, ad, the old adage, mother, is the necessity of invention, right? Um, yeah. We're in a crisis, so people start inventing really quickly. I've seen some amazing examples. The first one's up. I mean, everybody copied them, but the very first ones were a very small distillery company in uh, Western Canada who turned the distillation process into a hand sanitization process in like a day. That was a great example. Another really good example were a couple of guys out in um, Italy who had a 3D printer. They worked in Lombardy. And um, a hospital desperately needed pumps for their ventilators. They couldn't get them quickly enough. People were dying. And they said, you know what? We'll give it a go. So they came in with their 3D printer, got a blueprint of the pump, and they printed out 124 pumps in about eight hours for a dollar a piece. So, and saved God knows how many lives as a result. And then a more, a, a really charming example, I think, uh, of, um, I call it high tech and low tech, right? So um, about a week ago, uh, I was sitting in here on another podcast looking out the window as I am now and suddenly all these cars come past with balloons on them and congratulations and I'm sitting there what the fuck is going on and it was amazing it was a local high school had got together and they they told everybody except Duncan who wasn't paying attention as usual we're going to come driving past your house at 10 o'clock please come out and cheer for our graduating high school seniors because that was the only graduation ceremony they were going to get bless them uh, another high school in Japan in Tokyo realized that they were going to miss their graduation ceremony and they got one of the kids who was genius at Minecraft got hold of the high school yearbook, got photographs of all the kids that were graduating and the teachers, recreated the gym brick for brick inside Minecraft, and they had their high school graduation ceremony live in Minecraft. So, I mean, there's just been some amazing examples in the last couple of weeks. Where have, how have you been pushing yourself and your myriad projects? Obviously, yeah, that's so, a lot harder. No, it's, it's, it is, right? So, um, well, here's the thing, a couple of things that I think is, is gonna happen at the moment. Um, Number one barrier to innovation, 
time, time to think. I never have time to think is what people say. Well, guess what we've all got now, right? We've got more time to think than we could possibly want to imagine. Um, number two is you've got all of these industries that have been in slow decline for years because they haven't innovated, they've iterated. Well, the next six months is going to just, I mean, you know, Macy's, is Macy's going to be here by Christmas? I can't tell you. Do I hope it is? Yes, I hope it is. Uh, do I, am I one of those old fashioned buggers who loves the tradition of the Thanksgiving Day Parade? Yeah, I love it. Um, but here's the thing, they haven't innovated. They've just iterated to meet their quarterly results. And so's you know, everybody else in physical retail. And so is everybody else in the sports industry. When was the last time you did, saw the sports industry do anything innovative? When was the last time you saw the conference industry innovate? When was the last time you saw restaurants innovate? So here's what's gonna happen in the next six months. Anybody who has not yet discovered Amazon is going to discover it. Amazon, um, anybody who has not yet discovered Uber Eats is going to discover it. Anybody else who's not yet discovered Netflix, et cetera, is going to discover it. Um, anybody who's not yet discovered virtual gaming may well discover it. Here's what's going to, so do, will we all go back to shopping the way we used to? Will we all go back to eating out the way we used to? Will we all go out to sports events the way we used to? Will we all go back? It's, no, we won't. Of course we won't. And so I actually believe that, you know, movies have been getting much closer between the release of the actual movie and the, uh, and the release date. I think, I think movie theaters are dead, personally. I just think they haven't found out yet. Why? Because they iterated, they didn't innovate. They created, ICE, um, um, they created IMAX and they created 24 screens. But the only thing that's changed between the first time I went to the cinema in the 1960s and today is the cigarette girls missing. Well, okay, great. You still have to go at the time they tell you. You still, <laughs> you still have to sit in the seat. You still have to uh, watch the previews. You still have to. And so, you know, Reed Hastings, there he was, blessed, listed all the, oh, sorry, Walt Disney, rather, in 1940, listed all the rules of going to the movie theater, uh, you know, and challenged one of them. He said, uh, you know, because one of the rules he was frustrated was he couldn't control the environment. And he said, well, what if I could control the environment? Well, that wasn't provocative enough. So then he said, well, what if I take my movies out of the theater? Well, if you know how to do it, it's not innovation, it's iteration. He didn't know how to do it. So he said, well, well, if, if I take them out of the theater, they can't be three two dimensional anymore because they'd fall over and I don't own screens. Well, then I'd have to make them three dimensional. Well, how the hell do you do it? Well, wait a minute. What if I put people, I'll have people play the characters. Well, if I have people play the characters, Wait a minute, they couldn't live, Cinderella couldn't live next to Jack Sparrow, he's a pirate, and Davy Crockett's a cowboy, so she'll have to live in a different land. Oh, wait a minute, I'll call it Disneyland. The biggest creative suggestion of the 20th century. Here's the thing, we've all got time to think now. So pick your industry, whatever industry you're on, list the rules of your challenge, and I'll go through an example in a minute, and pick one rule and say, what if that rule no longer existed? So 2005, Reed Hastings fed up of having late fees at Blockbuster video, listed the rules of going to Blockbuster on a piece of paper. Have to be kind of rewind, have to drive to physical store, have to go during opening hours, never have the one I want opening day weekend, only able to rent three at a time, have to walk through the funky magnetometer machine, have to have a membership card, have to pay late fees. And he looked down the, the list and he said, okay, and he picked one. And he said, what if there was no physical store? Well, he didn't know how to do it, but he looked around the world and he said, well, wait a minute, YouTube's already been out there for about eight years. They stream amateur content. Well, what if I do a deal with the, the movie studios to stream professional content? Well, um, nobody would have to be kind of rewind. Nobody would have to drive anywhere. I'll be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can have as many movies as you want at a time. I'll cut the rental off after 24 hours so nobody pays a late fee. I'll call it Netflix. I'll take my idea to Blockbuster Video five times. They'll turn me down five times and thank you very much. I'll take them out of business in less than five years. So I would suggest to people right now, 
And again, by the way, people look at Disney and they look at uh, Netflix and they say, well, our company's not so big. We could never do that. Or well, Walt was bankrupt in 1940, as was Reed Hastings in 2005. But a smaller example to make it tangible for small entrepreneurs and small businesses was a company in Great Britain that used to make glasses that we drink out of. And they found that there was too much breakage uh, and not enough production when the glasses were being shipped and wrapped. Wrapped and shipped. So they went down to the shop floor and they listed the rules. 26 employees, cardboard boxes, 12 glasses to a box, glasses separated by corrugated cardboard, glasses wrapped in newspaper, employees reading newspaper. Well, that's where the issue was. So somebody asked the relatively provocative what, what if question, what if we poke their eyes out? Well, that's against the law and it's not very nice. Uh, but because they had the courage to ask the provocative question, the person sitting next to them got out of their river of thinking, said, well, wait a minute, why don't we just hire blind people? And so they did, and their production went up 20%, breakage went down 76%, and the British government gave them a 50% salary subsidy for hiring disabilities. So my suggestion to you is, I don't care how successful you are right now, because you, the great thing about Disney was Disney would always make us really innovate when we were at our greatest success, not wait till we were in trouble, because once you're in trouble, you're gone. Um, and so list the rules of your industry um, and, and challenge those. Pick one and challenge it. And you've got time to do it right now. That's really, yeah, no. And, and, and yeah, I think you made a similar point on the social media marketing podcast and it like blew my mind. And I, I spent, I, I did, I, I got a lot out of that. Um, so I guess my obvious question, you know, is like, so how does that apply to music? So like, you know, have you seen anything in that space or how, or I mean, even you as a speaker, you know, like, do you think you're going to be able to speak the way you were six months no. ago? No, no, no. Look at the conference industry. Look at the first conference you went to and look at the last one. Let me describe them for you. 8.30 to 9 o'clock networking. The coffee is a bit bitter. The orange juice is sour and the croissant is two days old. Uh, 9 till 9.15, all the sponsors got the stage, so they're going to bore the living daylight, says everybody. 9.15 till 10 o'clock, keynote speakers running late, promises time for Q&A, but oh, we ran out of time. We go to a networking break, we come back to the panel of doom. How do I know it's the panel of doom? Because a third of the audience are on their phones doing their emails. That's how you know it's the panel of doom. Then we go to lunch, yesterday steak, shrimp and chicken, leftover for convention services. We come back to a breakout group, always the most useful part of the day, but never long enough. Finish with a closing keynote with a motivational and inspirational speaker who leaves us pumped up and ready to change the world. A week later, somebody asks us, how was that conference in Chicago? And this totally blank look comes over our face. We can't remember anything we've heard. And did we learn anything that can help us think differently and grow our business? No, we didn't. Conferences are selfish. Uh, they hire speakers from Apple and Amazon and Nike. Why? Because you'll buy a ticket. That's why. Um, do I care if that person can speak? No, I made my money. If people have given you a day of their time, bloody well give them back something in return. Blow up this conference industry where we go keynote, 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 keynote. We don't give people time to think. And by the way, people learn by doing. They do not learn by listening. You can inspire and motivate somebody from the stage. You cannot help them. And anybody who says otherwise is lying. And that's why I love workshops and actually getting in a room with a group of people who've been told for years they're not creative, don't think they can innovate. And people say, why do you leave Disney? You were head of innovation and creativity. Are you nuts? I was like, no, I'm not nuts. There's a gap in the market. And it's a really easy one. For years, all of our C-suites have been standing up there saying, we must innovate, you must take risks, we must be brave, you must think differently. And all of their employees who are good people, I don't care what industry they work in, they're sitting there going, yeah, great. How, how do I do that exactly? Are you going to show me how? And I thought, 
oh my God, all I have to do is create a tangible toolkit that normal people can use in their everyday life that makes innovation easy, creativity tangible, and the process fun. Why do you need to make it fun? You don't need to make it hysterical fun. You can't talk culture change. You have to give Fred and Sally, who have worked for you for a year or 20 years, a toolkit that they choose to use when you're not around. So guess what? Make it easy, tangible, and fun. This is uh, all very near and dear to my heart as a refugee from the corporate world, as a trainer and uh, you know, lecturer and teacher. Uh, in very similar engagements myself in social media and marketing, teaching and training C-suite teams and marketing teams. But uh, what I wanted to ask you specific to your experience is if you, like you came into Disney, which had already kind of this entire mystique and aura and history, but for the average person, let's say the band person, if you're trying to innovate in this in a small way in your sphere, where do you begin? How is well, that process so, okay, begin? So. Okay, I'm not familiar with the music industry, but I am familiar I with speaking. So let's take speaking as an example, okay? Um, so two, a year ago, I did a pilot. I realized that most of my market and my marketing opportunities when I stand on a stage are in English because I speak English. But then you think, hmm, wait a minute, 95% of the planet doesn't. So what if I could learn a different language? Or what if I could speak in a different language? What if, what if, what if? So I partnered with a company uh, called Wordly, and they created a piece of technology through using an artificial intelligence robot. I can now stand on the stage and speak in 15 different languages simultaneously. You don't need an app. You just type in the URL on your phone if you're at a conference. And it scrolls in your language of choice. And if you put your AirPods in, it speaks to you in your language of choice. And unlike a simultaneous translator who works 30 seconds behind you, the AI robot does not. They're live with you and they don't make mistakes. So now that's opened a whole new market to me. So now, okay, now I'm in the virtual world. So you think, okay, how can I do a workshop? Well, partnered with SAP this morning and we use Zoom and we use their virtual breakout rooms where we were doing breakout rooms for two hours on four continents in 10, 10 different countries in God knows how many different time zones where we could send people off into there, but we briefed them on how to use each tool against the given challenge. They went into their breakout groups, uh, used the tool and came back with different ideas and it worked remarkably well. Um, I'm also thinking of, well, again, look in this whole new world, um, I'd already been experimenting with the idea of becoming the world's first avatar hologram speaker. Um, I think that will accelerate. Um, and so what if I could stand on a stage around the world without actually being there and deliver my speeches? And every time I want to up, um, um, upgrade my material and create different speeches for different conferences, all I have to do is type my text in. I've already been filmed for three days in every single possible angle. They know every nuance of my voice, my voice box, my body, my wrinkles, my movements, my gestures. And so therefore I can now go and deliver speeches around the world. Uh, in any different language without actually being there. So to me, you know, in the age of 50s, I ain't slowing down. Uh, the conference industry needs to kick up the arse. It's going to get one. Um, and so um, it's, you know, as my old boss used to say, if you hate change, you're going to hate irrelevance. Nice. Well said. So <clears throat> there's a few points there I kind of want to touch on. Um, How do you, so this is more of just like a macro trying to understand the speaking industry. Um, so I, I get the idea of essentially doing a hologram um, speaking option. Well, it's, it's, it's an avatar. So there's a yeah. physical body. Imagine a mannequin. 
okay. uh, like a robot, that, uh, but, but your face is projected onto the mannequin's face. So there is a body in the room. <laughs> and, you know, okay. look, will it, will it work? I don't know, but isn't that the fun part? Right? We talked about failure. You know, failure is, if you're not failing every now and then, you're not trying anything new. Sure. So, okay, so here's, here, here's the question that I guess is like, so do you ever, do you ever feel concern that, so for instance, with the man, the mannequin idea and the avatar idea, right? My immediate knee jerk reaction is that, um, that would kind of eliminate some of the long tail of speakers. You know what I'm saying? Nope. Because what I'm saying is like someone like me who gets like three speaking engagements a year, like through like luck versus if there's someone else who, you know, you can get for the same price and they'll just give you the mannequin instead. I don't know. That's sort of my fear. That's just sort of my knee jerk. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, no, I think there's a couple of things that, and the reason I haven't invested in it to date, but I will tell you with the virus, I'm seriously thinking about it. Um, but the reason I haven't gone there today is twofold. One is I don't think there's enough technical capability in the world yet to actually have that work and work sure. really well. Two is I'm not Beyonce. And so um, people don't know who Duncan Wardle is. So uh, if Beyonce could afford to go and do 50 concerts around the world, but here's the thing. Um, I also think it sends a message, I'm too important to come. And I think that's a very arrogant message yeah. to send to people. And so I will, for the time being, always go. But I will, will I, will I pilot one? Will I try it? Yes. I always think you should continue to try new things. That, uh, no, that, that, that seems like a very appropriate take. I'm always just curious how, you know, how you want to evolve within this. Um, Keith, I believe you had a question. I do. I do. So uh, I love that we started off, obviously, like every podcast, we're just so hyper-focused lately on this virus and the future. Um, what do you think are the growth opportunities for the future? We've talked about some of the things that are, you know, on the downswing or probably will be, yep. the, you know, as a result. No, of so, yeah. And with or without that, here's what was, I just gave a TED talk recently, what I call the death of the marketing economy and the birth of the experience economy. This was coming anyway. I think it's just going to be, so people are fed up of being marketed at, I mean, my God, you go onto your Instagram feed because you want to see your friends and other people and what they're up to. And every third picture is some irrelevant brand with their strategic content, disrupting the consumer, disrupting. No, you're not. You're pissing me off. I may have been neutral on your brand before you shoved yourself down my throat. Now I really dislike you. I mean, get a brain get some common sense and so um here's the thing um generations you know we're all investing in the tech side of the house and we should artificial intelligence blockchain and data but not enough people are paying attention to generation z a generation who care desperately more about purpose than profit so much so that they not only will they not buy your products and services in the future if they don't believe in what you stand for they don't want to work for you either so how the hell will be relevant 10 years from today well, here's the thing, and here's how I know we're moving. Marketing implies the word at. That's a one-way conversation. Engaging with and creating experiences for implies a two-way conversation and a two-way relationship. We all know one-way relationships don't work. Quite frankly, it's called common sense. And so um, as you look to the future, this generation that's coming up, Generation Z, they're not going to own a house. They never were going to own a house. And they're not going to own a car. 
you know, God knows with the economy, you know, but so this crowdsourcing, crowd sharing is going to get bigger. They're buying experiences. By the way, how do I know that? Do I have some secret source? Do I have a deck of research? No, I don't. Just watch your bloody consumers. Watch your own children, for God's sake. Look, Airbnb, where do you think that came from? Uh, escape rooms, where did that come from? Um, mind, um, uh, da, 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 uh, craft breweries, where did that come from? Speakeasies, where did they come from? Uh, Dave's Coffee Bar, where did he pop up? People are buying experience. They're already telling us they want experiences. So, and Walt was a genius. Walt saw experience first in back in 1955 when he opened Disneyland. He said, experience first, retail second. And nobody in the physical retail industry has ever understood that. And unless they understand it really quickly, there'll be a product or a service. And if you're a product or a service, God damn you, I'll buy you on Amazon and I will never come visit you. Give me an experience. Give me a reason to go. The Museum of Iceman, for God's sake. Look at it. It created an experience. So Walt, in creating experience first, right, created what most people don't understand or know is what are, in fact, the six most successful or six of the top ten most successful shopping malls per square foot anywhere on the planet. They're called Disney theme parks. Do I think of them as a shopping mall? No. Because Walt created an experience first. So how does an experience deliver, you know, revenue? Well, up until 10 years or 15 years ago, Universal Studios were the hard steel ride guys and Disney were the immersive entertainment guys. And then Universal bought Harry Potter and suddenly instead of charging $3.50 for a Coca-Cola, no, 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 I, it's called Butterbeer and I could knock it out for $11.50 plus tax. This plastic stick that you wouldn't give me 50 cents for? No, no, sir. To you, this is Dumbledore's wand and you'll gladly fork over $54.99 plus tax. Why? Because I created an experience first, that's why. And you can see it coming because I, again, watch your consumer. You don't need a deck, you don't need research, watch your consumer. I went, uh, I've been going to New York six times a year, every year for 20 years. It used to be Starbucks on every street corner. Now it's not, it's Dave's Coffee Bar, Sally's Coffee Bar. People are buying an experience. And if brands that don't realize it, recognize it and get on board will cease to exist within 10 years. Very well said. And this, and right now you, per your viewpoint, essentially right now we're going through that sort of hard reset. Yeah, look, everybody's gonna change their point of view. Everybody's gonna change their point of view um, on, on what's, everybody is now drilling right down to what's important. Right? I went for a bicycle ride with my daughter last week and you may think well that's not unusual well yeah the last time we got on two bicycles together she was six now she's 25 um and it was and we made pasta together i don't think we've ever made pasta together and suddenly you're like you know what this isn't bad this is good i mean it, the virus is horrible it's horrendous i don't mean to underestimate that and i'm sorry to god knows to anybody who's lost anybody they know um and just encourage everybody to be healthy and like me stay at home go get the jigsaws Exactly. Um, as we kind of head towards the end of this, do you have any final um, words of wisdom to share? It's easy. Do what you love and you'll be really good at it. I was crap at math. I never tried to be a math professor. I'm really good at helping companies think differently and come up with big breakthrough ideas, but I love doing it and therefore I'm good at it. And so particularly if you're young and you're listening, um, you don't have kids, you don't have mortgage, therefore guess what? You have no risk. So do what you love. You will be really good at it. You remember your favorite school, your favorite subject at school? Guess which subject you had the best scores in? It's common sense. Do what you love and you'll be really good at it. Very well said. Thank you so much. Cool. This Thank you very dumbest. much indeed. This has been Dumb and Dumbest. You have been listening. Are we done yet? <laughs>